What is up, Red Rocks Church? As much as I love your all's opinions, I don't even care what you think about this. We are going to have an incredible weekend of church. I've already declared it in my own heart and in my own spirit, so you might as well jump on board. You guys with me? It's going to be awesome. It will not be awesome if we don't say hi to everyone at our campuses in the Denver metro area, Lakewood, Littleton, Arvada, Evergreen. We love you guys. Um, across the pond at our campus in Brussels, Belgium, we love you guys. Wish we had your pastries over here. They're amazing. And can we do this at all of our campuses? Can we give the most gracious round of applause to all the men and women at our God Behind Bars campuses? We love you guys so much. So much. Such an honor that we get to worship with you guys week in and uh, week out. I'm going to jump right in because we've got a lot of work to do. There is um, one verse in the New Testament that is one of the single most important scriptures in all of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm going to camp all night trying to make some more sense out of such a profoundly important verse. And the verse says this, therefore... Now, I already got to stop there, all right? Because when something says, therefore, you got to ask, what's it there for? <laughs> no? Not? Okay, all right. I see who I'm dealing with. Other campuses liked it more. No, when Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, he's not just writing, hey, based on what I just said a couple sentences ago, he's literally saying, if you read the full context, hey, based on the last 11 chapters of the single most exhaustive book in the New Testament, Romans, based on everything Paul's just said about the law and about grace, here's what he wants to conclude, and it is Romans chapter 12, and verse 1 particularly. So this is an incredibly important verse. He says, Therefore, I urge you, Red Rocks Church, there is, this is Paul going, I have just worked 11 chapters to tell you what I'm about to tell you. He says, therefore, I urge you, and then here's the key, in view of God's mercy, because what he's about to call the church to next does no good if it's not in view of God's mercy, if it's not filtered through the mercy of God. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer, I love that, it's an offering, it's not a command, it's not a demand. That would have been old school. It's an offering now because Jesus has already met the righteous demands, right? He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is holy and this is pleasing to God. And he says, this is your proper and this is your true worship. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you for church. I thank you for your word. God, you, you say that your word does not return back to you empty. It always accomplishes the purpose with which you sent it for. And I can't thank you enough in advance for all you're going to do this weekend. Jesus, my biggest prayer all week is that you would um, take our burdens and that you would exchange them for your burden. Jesus, that you would take our pains, our frustrations, our joys, and that you would give us your burden because, Jesus, you said your burden is easy. You said that your yoke is light, and we need that down here on planet Earth. And so, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we now say, come and do what only you can do. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. So last year, about a year ago or so, I had the privilege of preaching at a concert in town. They had a, uh, a preacher. I guess I was the setup guy, the hype man, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a band called Jesus Culture uh, was in town, and they asked me to do the message before they came up and, and did their thing. And it was, a, it was a big honor. But typically when you do something like that in that setting, my ultimate job was to like just get people fired up yet again about Jesus and ready. But I did kind of an obscure message that night just because I felt like God told me to. And I titled the message, Old Spice Swagger. And that came from a deodorant can <laughs> right here. 
And what I told them, and the reason I called it that was because it was this very deodorant can right here that triggered what I've called a midlife crisis, okay? I turned 40 three years ago, and it has not been the easiest three years of my life because I am in kind of that in-between phase, that old spice swagger phase where I don't really fully understand right now who I am. I'm having some of the uh, insecurities I had when I was like 17 years old again. And don't judge. Some of you are looking so judgmental. If you're not there yet, trust me, gentlemen, it's real. But here's how, here's how this happened. I was actually, uh, three years ago when I just turned 40, I was on the road and I was getting ready to preach and it was in the morning and I'm about to give you too much information, but if you've been here for a while, tell the new people he does this every time. Okay. I wasn't fully dressed, okay? From here on up, I didn't have a shirt on. The problem, I was getting ready for the day. The problem with me not having a shirt on is I have dad bod now, because I'm 40, right? And so I started brushing my teeth, and all of a sudden, that wasn't a good idea with your shirt off, because I'm like, the whole time my belly's going like this. All this up here is starting to shake. And so I just, I just feel, between being 40 and watching that in the mirror, I just feel my self-esteem just plummeting, right? And so I do what we all do, gentlemen, of all ages. I start flexing in the mirror, right? No one's there. And so I'm doing all the flexes. I'm trying to find a somewhat redeemable pose. Nothing's happening. I start pressing down my dad bod stomach fat to see if my abs from my 20s were still there. Nothing. And then finally, the stars aligned, and I found the perfect pose, at least for me. And I'm like, I got to document this. So I go, and I get my phone, and I do the pose again, and I smile like it's not killing me to stay in this pose. I take the picture, and I send it to my wife, right, my Mia Moore, right? (laughs) The one who, of all people on earth, are going to unconditionally just love me for me because I'm like, I need some love from her. So I hit send, and then I wait for a minute, and then all of a sudden, I hear it buzz, and here's what she wrote back to me. What? question mark. Do you need something? Question mark. I wrote, yeah, new wife. I was hoping for like the, you know, the emoji with the heart eyes. I was hoping for like that, right? Or like the emoji with the bicep. Give me something, right? Why? You're my wife, right? I was hoping for like hashtag, like too hot to handle, too cold to hold. Hashtag Chad Pitt, lie to me, tell me anything. I need this right now, I'm 40. So I got done with that and I was flustered and then my wife is very kind. (laughs) Yeah, she's very kind and she always makes sure I have all the toiletries I need when I travel. And I went in there and there was a new deodorant. She had just got me a different one and a new one and that was the first time I ever laid eyes on Old Spice Swagger. And I sat there and I had an epiphany, I'm like, this is my life right now. Like, this is a metaphor for 40-year-olds. This is like, are we old spice or are we swagger? Because I can still go on the court and have a little bit of swagger every now and then. I just can't walk for the next three days, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's just this world of insecurity where you just don't fully know who you are. I mean, I'm gonna tell you guys a, a secret, but this stays between us. You hear me? Between us. I shop, I'm 40, 43. I shop at Forever 21. <laughs> Shh, don't laugh, all right? Hey, and don't judge me, seriously. If the mall had a clearly 43 store, I'd shop there. (laughs) Oh, wait, it does. Eddie Bauer. All right. (laughs) I promise you. No, here's my commitment to you. Here's my commitment to you. I'm going to wear khakis next time I preach, all right? I'm going to start learning golf. I promise. I'm going to act my age. I I shop at Forever. You think I'm bad, though. Has anyone seen Sean's truck? It's literally like nine feet high. The lift is absurd. It's black on black on black. His license plate's like Q3128, whatever. But what it really should say is just insecure. I'm insecure. (laughs) Like just a big, right? 
And that's for messing with me, Sean. Once again, I'm up. <laughs> we need to take a Bible bath, so we're going to do that. At that concert that night, I, I, was, I was having some fun like we're having this weekend, and I was talking to him about my old Spice Swagger moment, and I stopped, though, like I'm going to do right now, and I'm going to say to you what I said to them that night because a, a year later, I still believe it to be true. The American church is currently in a midlife crisis between what I'm going to call Old Spice and Swagger. Now, what I'm really talking about is when I say Old Spice, I'm talking about the holiness of God. I'm talking about the truth of God. And when I say Swagger, I'm talking about the grace and I'm talking about the mercy of God. And when I say the church is in a midlife crisis right now in the American church, what I mean is simply this, is it almost feels like depending on what church you choose to attend, you're almost by your attendance picking which team you're on, right? Like we're, we're Swagger church, we're grace, we're mercy. We're just come as you are and everything's light and fluffy and everything's good and wonderful and nobody's ever got a problem with anything and it's just and then on the other side it's we're the holiness church right be holy therefore because your god is holy right and that's how the pastors at that church preaches and and what i've found is that for whatever reason god seems to be putting his hand of blessing and pouring out his spirit on the local churches in our nation that seem to be getting this grace and this truth thing right because John 1 tells us very clearly that Jesus came, listen to this, he came full of grace and truth. And so our job is to understand the relationship, or as I call it, the dance between grace and truth. Because Jesus isn't one, one way uh, in one setting and then another way in another setting. He doesn't pick if, if one setting needs holiness or if one setting needs grace. He is always fundamentally fully full of grace and fully full of holiness. It is who he is. He came full of both, right? And I said it that night, and I'll say it again, holiness and grace or, or truth and mercy, it's like dance partners. Someone's got to lead, right? And in, in our world of redemption and in the Christian church, it's the truth of God and the holiness of God that always leads the dance. It's always God's truth that should tell us where to go, how to get there what to do next, right? But it's the grace of God, just like the man leads in a dance, it's the grace of God that makes a dance look beautiful. And that's what the woman does. The focal point's on the woman, but the man is the one making sure that, that, that it, the moves go right so she can make it look beautiful. And it's the holiness of God that makes this life go right and the grace and the mercy of God that makes the dance, this, thing, this crazy thing called life, it's what makes it look beautiful. And so we don't pit Old Spice, Old Testament, Old Covenant God against Swagger, New Testament, Happy God, who's no longer on pills anymore, right? Like he's the Jesus like that. I thought that was good. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I want to show you what I mean scripturally. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, Red Rocks Church, hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have, I love this, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that good news? I love it. Who's not unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then... Approach God's throne of what? What's the throne titled? This is important. We're going to talk about God's throne. Approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God's throne, if it was titled anything else, we would not qualify to come to him confidently. 
If the title on God's throne was anything other than grace and mercy, we would not be able to confidently approach him, right? And God knows this about us because he knows how profoundly and deeply sinful that we are from birth. So his throne is titled grace, but it's super important that you understand this. The refrain around the throne is holy, holy, holy. Let's read it, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet says, I saw the Lord. He had a a very real vision of the Lord and heaven. And he says, here's what I saw. God was high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Now, if you're new to church, we love you. Thank you for being here. That's just a big term for angels, okay? And these particular angels, 24 hours a day, the Bible tells us, fly around the throne. These seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And then listen to this. They're calling out to one another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. Now we need to do the proximity test. This tells us the most we can know about our God because they are privy to proximity to God that none of us are right now. They are in the physical, tangible, close proximity to God on his throne. And the only thing, the only refrain that can most organically come out of their mouths 24 hours a day is not grace, grace, grace for the whole world is filled with his glory. It's what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here's why. Because holiness has always been and will always be the chief characteristic of God. In fact, every other characteristic we read about God in the scriptures is just a sub-characteristic and all of those put together cumulatively is what makes God what we call holy. You understand that? Grace is not a characteristic of God like some say. I would argue grace is a reaction to our breach of holiness. Grace would have never been a part of the human language if we didn't eat that apple in the Garden of Eden. Do you understand that? Holiness is who God is. Grace is what God does when holiness is breached. It is a reaction And so here's what we can learn about grace. And in this dance between Old Spice and Swagger, it's this. Grace's ultimate purpose is not just to forgive you. That's its first purpose. That's its sweetest purpose right now because we all sit under the weight of our sin. But grace that stops at forgiveness is not complete grace. Grace that stops at forgiveness is not what we're here for. Grace in its ultimate manifestation is a reestablishment of holy behavior. First, positionally, which is a gift, and we do nothing to earn that holiness. But then secondly, over time, that holiness manifests into actual human behavior. And so the cool thing is, is we get this incredible story in the New Testament. Because I know what some of you are thinking at all of our campuses. You're like, Chad, that's some pretty lofty speech, and that sounds real good on the weekend at church. But what's it actually look like, this dance between grace and holiness? How does grace actually empower me to live holy? And we get this incredible priceless moment in history where Jesus goes to this dinner. He was invited by a group of Pharisees. Pharisees were the scholars of the day. Pharisees were wealthy by those first century standards. Pharisees were the adjudicators and litigators of the law. The Pharisees were uh, the best scholars around when it came to the Torah. They were like the heroes of the day in Jerusalem. And one named Simon invites Jesus to his house. And then all of a sudden, this unsuspecting woman, who the Bible tells us is a prostitute, she all of a sudden barges into the party. Let's read Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees 
invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. We need to stop there just to establish something very quick. Can we, can we all agree if we're Jesus people in here, can we all agree that anywhere Jesus sits on any chair, whether it's in heaven or on earth, the minute he sits on that chair, that chair instantly becomes a throne? no matter what that chair looks like, because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords, right? So whether it's this gold celestial royal throne in heaven, whatever that may look like, we'll know someday, or it's this chair in this Pharisee's house, the minute he sits in that chair, that chair instantly becomes not only a throne, but listen to me, it's a throne of grace to do what? Receive mercy in your time of need. And only one person in this, apart, in this party of dignitaries and scholars and power players, only one person is gonna tap into that mercy. Let's keep reading. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And then I want you to see posture because posture is everything. They're sitting eye to eye with Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? She's at his feet. Don't let this scripture pass us by too fast. This is beautiful. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She's broken. She began to wet his feet, not with water that would have been in a jar at the front door, but with her tears. Then she wiped them, not with a towel that again would have been at the front door. It's common practice back then. But she did it with her hair. Then it says she kissed Jesus' feet. And can we be reminded that it's feet? I know it's Jesus's, but it's still feet. Come on, Right? <laughs> She kissed them, and then she poured her own perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, I want you to note something. This is a thought here. He didn't say it out loud. He said to himself, he said a thought. He said, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And I love this about Jesus because he's going to be like, all right, he's wondering if I'm a prophet, so I'm just going to read his mind real quick and have a real conversation with him about his thoughts. I love it. I picture Jesus wanting to be like, because he's like, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, that she is a sinner. And I picture him going, hey, if you knew what kind of man I was, you would know that I'm not just a prophet, I'm the Messiah. And there's nothing that she can bring to the table that is worse than how good my mercy is for her. Simon, the Pharisee, the scholar, the dignitary, right? Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus is about to go all second grade on Simon. Any of you guys got kids in the Jeffco school system? I have a second grade daughter and she brings home her math and I've got one more year with her before I have to look at her like I did my older son and go, I can no longer help you with homework because I stop at the third grade level. But I still help, I still help her with her math. And at the end, if you're in Jeffco, I don't know how it works at other school districts, at the end, the last thing they give you is this question called stretch your thinking. And it's just, it's kind of like third grade level. They just want to really push you to finish strong, right? And, and I was reading this all this week, this passage of scripture, and I, I wrote in my notes, I'm like, this is a stretch you're thinking. He, Jesus is going second grade on one of the greatest scholars in first century Jerusalem. You don't get to be a Pharisee unless you're the top of the class when it comes to theology. And Jesus is going all second grade, and here's why. What did Jesus say repeatedly has to happen if you're going to ever be a part of his kingdom? You have to become like a child, right? 
And so he's trying to draw some faith out of this guy by showing him just how unbelievably his mercy is over people. So he says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, and this is how I hear it. I don't know that, like, the one, I suppose, who had the bigger debt forgiven. No, I'm sorry, Simon, speaking to my good ear. Oh, wait, they're both perfect because I'm Jesus. But anyways, try, try again, Simon, right? He goes, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. It's like me looking at Jane and going, okay, so, someone's got 50 bucks and someone owes 500 bucks and both of them are broke. And the guy who gave him that money is coming to collect And when he finds out that both of them were broke, you know what he does? He forgives both of their debts. And I would look at Jane and I would say, hey, Jane, which one do you think is going to be more happy? The one who got $50 or $500 forgiven? And she would very clearly, because she's got the understanding of a child, she'd go, that's easy. The one who owed $500, you've judged correctly. And then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, so he's looking at the woman, and I, I feel like in his eyes he's going, I got your back. I'm going to have a little talk with Simon while I keep looking at you. And he says this, Simon, do you see this woman? No, 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 Simon, look in her eyes. She's, she's a story, not a stat. In the body of Christ, we don't do stats, okay? She's not a prostitute. She's a woman. She's an image bearer of God who is broken and needs mercy and grace so she doesn't have to continue being a prostitute. So I want you, Simon, to look her in the eyes. I know you're up here sitting and she's down here worshiping, but can you look her in the eyes for a minute, Simon? And here's what I want you to know, Simon. I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was customary, But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which was customary. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing. And again, I repeat, my feet. (laughs) You didn't put any oil on my head, which was customary. And it would have been olive oil, like face lotion for us today. Nothing super expensive. But she put a year's wages of alabaster perfume, not olive oil. She put the best of everything she had on my feet in your house. He says, therefore, I tell you her what? Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And before I read the last part, let me just theologically help you understand something. Because some of you are reading that and maybe you're newer to church and you're going, oh, so if I do enough kind things to Jesus, then my sins will be forgiven. Because it's easy to read that in this conversation and think that Jesus is saying, well, because she cried and used her tears on my dirty feet, and because she used her hair on my feet to dry them, and because she used all of her perfume, then I guess she qualifies to be saved, right? But we know we're not justified by anything other than grace through faith period. It is not by works lest anyone should boast. Jesus is about to look at her and say what we need to know right now. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith saved her, but it also caused her to do what? Act. And that is the dance between Old Spice and between Swagger, between holiness and grace. Grace is the entry point to come back to confidence with God. And the more time you keep coming back and back and back to the throne of grace to receive mercy in your time of need, the more you just over time become more and more and more holy. 
the refrain of your heart. And listen, it's a, it's a lifelong process, but our job when it comes to being holy isn't with white-knuckled discipline to try and just behave better. That's what the Pharisees did, and none of them walked out of the house with the peace that Jesus gave. It was the woman who was just, I'm at your, I'm drawing on your mercy. I have nothing else but to come to you confidently and ask you for mercy. And the more he does that, the more she realizes he's there to forgive her, the more she's like, I'll give you everything, Jesus. And that's holiness, Red Rocks Church. Jesus then said to her, your sins are forgiven. That's what the human heart wants. No matter what religion people are part of, that's ultimately what they want. They want to know that they are justified by whatever God might be out there, right? And Jesus, God in in the flesh says, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say to themselves, "Who who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And again, this is ultimately what every human heart wants because we lost this at birth because of sin. Go in peace, shalom. Not, not a peace that the world gets from good behavior or for having enough money or enough things or enough stuff, a peace that's internal. And it's a peace that passes circumstance and it's a peace that passes your ability to define even how you got that peace. He says, go in peace. And what I want us to see here is that when you keep mercy at the forefront of your faith and when you keep grace at the forefront of your faith, remember what Paul said? In view of God's mercy, If you lose sight of God's mercy, you will never offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You might offer your bodies to good behavior, but it won't be holy and pleasing. Think about this for a minute. The the most holy person in that room, besides Jesus, was one of the worst behaved people in that room. Let that mess with your religious mind for a minute. She wasn't beating anyone in that room when it came to piety, when it came to behavior. These guys They spent their whole life just getting better at behavior. They were well-behaved. But listen to me, good behavior can happen without grace and mercy being involved. But, but, But holiness cannot happen without grace and mercy being involved. Because it's, it's, the, it's the accountability of, of God's gracious reaction to us when we breached holiness. It's the accountability of God's grace and mercy that will cause you to live a life that says, God, you get my tears, you get my hair, you get my resource, you get my perfume, you get everything. And the reason is, is because when I had nothing, you forgave me. When I was nothing, when I was at my lowest, you picked me up. That's, that's the message right here. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. The holiest moment, the only holy moment in that house was from the prostitute. Why? Because she, someone told her. I don't know if she maybe ran into the apostle Peter on the road and, and he said what he says to us in his book. Hey, you, can, you know that Jesus guy? He's having dinner at the Pharisee's house. You can go there. You can cast all your cares on him because he cares for you, all your tears. And I want us to know something about her tears. Her tears represented what all tears do, burden, right? Do you understand tears are one of the biggest gifts of grace that God has given humanity? It is a physiological expression of God's grace because although tears are, are, are so light and so small, it's just a little drop of water and sodium, it's so much more than that. Every tear you cry are the toxins of this world and the toxins of the human soul. Every tear we cry is burden coming out to be replaced by God. Do you know Psalms 56 verse eight, King David writes this, every tear you cry, God is bottling up and keeping a record of it. 
Isn't that interesting that the Bible says God keeps no record of wrongs when you are in Christ Jesus? True love keeps no record of wrongs and yet he keeps every record of your pain and hurt. Isn't that an awesome God we serve? When he should have recorded our our mistakes, instead he wipes our mistakes out and he records in his, you're gonna go to heaven someday and God's gonna wanna give you a hug. What do we do when we miss someone after a long time? We give them a hug, right? Just come hug me. Where do you think we got that instinct from? That I, don't, I don't know how it's really gonna play out in heaven. We don't, we don't know, but I feel like God's just gonna wanna hug every one of us and then he's gonna go see this bottle. Remember all those times you doubted me or was questioning or wondering if I was still there? Every tear you cried, I kept as a memorial. I kept on. I've got a scroll about when it happened and why it happened. You can cast every care on him because he cares for you, even if you're a prostitute. He loves you that much. And that's what draws holiness in our lives over and we just keep every, this is why we meet, this is a house of holiness because it is a house of mercy. We meet every week to cast our tears on them, to put down our hair. Do you understand when she let down her hair, what was happening? Something profoundly holy because her hair, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, is a woman's glory in first century Jerusalem. It's her glory. It's the one thing that a prostitute who's wrecked her life, it's the one thing that she could hold on to as a form of pride. And they didn't let their hair down in settings like this. So when she goes, she has so much confidence in his grace to receive mercy in her time of need. She doesn't care what anybody else thinks in the room. And she lets down her glory. She lets down her one thing of dignity. She doesn't let pride get in the way and she uses it to wash the feet of Jesus. And I say that to say this, some of you at all of our campuses this weekend, you came here because you need to let some tears out. You have been holding it in and trying to hold it together. Some of you gentlemen who are fathers and husbands and you're sitting under the weight of of provision, that very real gift God created us to do, but now it's through thorns and thistles. Now it's difficult and you sit under the weight of providing for your family and being the husband and the father or the future husband and father that you were called to be and you think the manly thing to do is just suck it up and be tough. Can I tell you, what if God brought you here this weekend to just cry a bit? You go, well, that's not what we men do. Well, talk to David about that because I'm pretty sure he ripped with his bare hands a lion and a bear to death and cried all the time. He said, my tears are my food. Real men cry. Real men come to the feet of Jesus week after week, church service after church service and say, Jesus, if not for you, I cannot do this. And when you begin to let go of the burdens, gentlemen, that you feel for your family, God replaces that burden with something light because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it's not just our burdens we bring to Jesus. It's our hair. It's it's our pride. It's taken the things in life that we want to continue to control because they're points of dignity and they're points of, of, of glory and we want to hold on to our dignity and our glory. And so sometimes we think, well, I can't give that stuff over to Jesus because he might misuse it and it's the one thing I love. And this woman, because of mercy, she does something so holy, she lets her pride down and, and uses it at Jesus' feet. And some of you came here and you don't need to cry, but what you need to do is you need to get honest about some places of pride, some things that you're withholding from Jesus because you're scared. And that's what we're gonna do. There was a youth retreat we just had a couple weeks ago. And the way Jesus went all second grade on that Pharisee, I want for a few minutes to go all 14-year-old on us as a church. Watch this. So at the beginning of March, we had um, 
the senior high youth retreat up in Winter Park. And I went up for the weekend just to film and sort of capture the event and, you know, everything that happened. And, um, you know, you kind of go into those things pretty expectant because I've been there the years past and I've seen God do stuff there. And so you kind of feel the momentum to start to build um, from like the first night into the next morning. And um, Saturday night's kind of like the climax of the weekend. And so, you know, the, this guest speaker was sort of speaking a message on the, the pain that we hold on to, the unforgiveness that we hold on to. Uh, and then he said, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, if you're holding on to um, pain or anger or, or something towards someone else, you need to let that go. And like Christ wants to heal that. And he said, so if you want that, step down to the front. And there's about 500 students in the room and they just, it seemed like almost all of them maybe. I mean, hundreds of them were just filing down to the front and filing down to the front. Right now, every student, if you responded to this, lift your hands up high, lift your hands to heaven, because that's where your help comes from. That's where the power of God comes from. Right now, Lord, I just pray over every student, God, in Jesus' name. God, I pray over everyone that's stepping out, saying, I'm not enough, God, but you are. God, I just believe right now, God, revival is starting right now. A movement is starting in these students that they thought they were not enough and they told themselves they couldn't but God you could God I just believe in Jesus name they're beginning to move Lord God you're doing it I decided to like okay I'm gonna I just I just set the camera down for a second and got to like look out sort of over the crowd and it wasn't like you heard a few kids here and there crying it was like audible weeping across the room so I took a step back and, and looked over this like crowd of students stopped filming for a little while and just sort of thought to myself that if there's any reason God's going to bless our church, if there's any reason He's going to use us, um, like this is it. This is the reason why. And I think God honors and blesses a well-spoken sermon or a well-made video or good music, and, I, and I, obviously I believe in those things, but it was, it was really a, a clear moment of like this is what our church should be about. Ultimately, I think what he blesses is the person who's humble enough and willing enough to get on their knees before him, give it to him and say, God, I need you. Like, I need you so desperately. And that's what all of those kids were doing. And that's what, that's, you know, and that it was, I think it was a monumental moment, not just in like the youth ministry, but like for our church as a whole to look out and see those kids and be like, hey, this is the future of our church. And I think we're in pretty good shape if that's the case. I want those images of that retreat to do something in our hearts. I purposely wanted to go, like I said, all 14 year old on us as a form of account, of getting us as adults with real pressures and real difficulties and real struggles and things going on, man. If, if, if kids that age were coming broken with tears, how much more just because of the life we've lived in this room, how much more do we need those kind of moments? And I love what Josiah said. I love it. He said, I appreciate a good sermon and, and, and a well done video and, and good. We are called to be excellence. Excellent is worship. When I preach, I'm gonna be as excellent as I can. When we do all of our production, we're gonna be as excellent as we can. It matters to God. When we sing, we're gonna play skillfully under the Lord. But listen to me, the church that God is gonna bless is the church that continually, week after week, comes in with humble and contrite spirits. 
God does not. He said it to King David after he made his biggest mistake. He committed adultery. He goes, I don't want any more sacrifices. I don't want any more killed animals. What I want is a broken and a contrite spirit. And when we bring that to church week in and week out, and we're not too proud to sit lofty like the Pharisees did and vet Jesus. Instead, we come here and we sit at his feet. She came in looking for mercy in her time of need. They came in looking for information in their time of skepticism. Who walked away with peace? I'm gonna say that again, because I know how we sometimes come into church. Tell me more about Jesus. Give me some more information. Let's go deeper. It gets no deeper than being on your feet, cleaning the feet of Jesus with your tears and your burdens and wiping his feet dry with your hair and pouring out all your resource for the glory of Jesus. It gets no deeper than that, right? She came in in need of mercy and walked out saved, justified, and with peace. And that is the only way all of us are gonna walk out lighter than we walked in. It's not information. It's not just give us a good thing or a good deal. It's no, God, I bring everything to you right now. And so if you guys at all campuses will stand, I'm gonna pray and, and we're gonna bring two things to Jesus this weekend. If you want to walk out of here with the peace that only Christ can give. If you wanna walk out of here with the peace that passes understanding in Christ Jesus, you have to do this. You have to lay down your burdens. Cast it all on Jesus. He cares for you. It might seem trite, it might seem small compared to what somebody else is going through. God has a capacity we don't. He can empathize with you as much as he empathizes with anyone else. Some of you, before you leave here, need to lay your burden down. Some of you, before you leave here, maybe for some of us, it's a mixture of both. It's not a burden for you so much right now as it's some pride. And only you can answer that. But the sacrifice, the worship, the holiness that God accepts isn't religious ritual. It's a contrite and a humble spirit. So if pride is in the way in any way right now, don't walk out of this service before you lay it at Jesus's feet. And I promise you, he will replace it with peace. Heavenly Father, will you bless these next few minutes at all of our campuses? Would your Holy Spirit, would your Holy Spirit be here in such a precious way? Holy Spirit, come and minister to people. God, I pray that at every campus we would feel divine empathy from you right now and that we would feel you justifying us and, and replacing our stuff with your peace. Jesus, please, we just ask as your children that you would do that yet again this week. We love you and it's in your name we pray and it's in your sweet name we worship. Amen. At all of our campuses, let's worship.